Welcome to Hotter Than Ever, where we uncover the unconscious rules we've been following, we break those rules, and we find a new path to being freer, happier, sexier, and more self-expressed. I'm your host, Erin Keating. Today, I speak to sex educator and psychotherapist Eva Clay about sexuality and how it changes in perimenopause and menopause. This is a hot conversation that ranges from the biological, like how a decrease in estrogen makes us more powerful and how sex and oxytocin stimulates neuroplasticity, to the spiritual and how sex and spirituality, especially in midlife, can be more interconnected than ever. At some moments, this is more of a sermon than an interview because we are both so passionate about how awesome it is to be older women who are embracing our sexuality as a life force. I can't wait for you to hear it. Take a listen. Eva Clay has been a sex educator, psychotherapist, activist, and academic for 20 years, and she is on a mission to make sex a spiritual practice. I'm so excited to get into this conversation. Welcome to Hotter Than Ever, Eva. Mm-hmm. It's great to be here. So in your day-to-day life, talking about sexuality and spirituality, what are you seeing that's going on out there with sexuality for women over 40? Mm-hmm. Because I feel and I don't have empirical evidence for this, except for my own <laughs> focus group of one, I feel something is changing in sexuality with regards to older women. Oh, it's definitely changing. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's also an amazing, exciting revolution going on around menopause. And yes. more and more women over 40 are realizing they're not dead yet. Like sex is actually a, a really strong part of midlife. And I think previous to now, we started to believe that things slow down or get mm-hmm. uncomfortable, or it's like women sort of go into sexual retirement. And that is not the case. <laughs> that is the furthest thing from the truth. It's exciting. And it, are you seeing that with partnered women, with women who are single? Are you seeing it across the board? Break it down for me a little bit. Yeah. Well, let's backtrack a little bit because when we talk about sex, we also can talk about relationships and what is the state of our relatedness and the culture of relationships happening now. And the two are obviously very connected. And what we're realizing, I think, in the relational zeitgeist, at least in the West and in the US, because that's where I live, is that there's no one way to do it right anymore. There's no cookie cutter format that the old paradigms of get married to one person, have sex with one person your entire life and stay married your entire life, that is collapsing. And what I see is that that is becoming one option out of many. And that's Mm. a beautiful option. Many women choose that. Many men choose that. And But not everybody has to anymore that more and more our our structures, our paradigms are opening up. And we're beginning to see that we have a whole menu of options in terms of how we pair bond, how we partner, how we create families, and how we have sex. And some people might see this as mm, a sad turn of events or a failure of some Mm. sort. I do not. I see this as a big Mm -hmm. success that we are beginning to understand we can do it our way and we can actually change our mind and we can have it many different ways throughout the span of our life. So with that, 
women are starting to wake up and realize that midlife is a fantastic era of sex for them. But there are some new things to understand about women's bodies, women's hormones, as we age, how to take care of ourselves, and how to have relational hygiene at this age also. Mm, mm, yeah, my personal experience is I would have stayed in that monogamous thing forever <laughs> had it not broken. Oh, sorry, marriage. Uh, had it not broken. And I was in a sexless marriage for the last 10 years of the 17 that we were together. And I literally said to my best friend, I guess this isn't that important to me anymore. I knew it was a lie. I knew I was lying. But I also didn't feel like I had any agency there. I had tried a bunch of stuff to make it work in the marriage, but also interpersonal stuff adds up. And if things aren't working well, like it's real hard to open that door once it's closed. And so it took divorce to for me to reawaken that side of myself, which coincided with being 50 and perimenopause and all of these changes in my life and my body all at the same time. And I'm hearing from my cohort, my peers, like I'm hornier than ever. <laughs> my period's weird. It's coming and going. I'm, I'm not in menopause yet, but I'm on my way. And I need to navigate how all of this physiology and desire works together for me in this next chapter of my life. You're exactly right to figure out how that physiology works for you in this next chapter of life. And what I'm appreciating about your story is that it is so common in my private practice as a somatic psychotherapist, I'm constantly walking women through this portal, through this journey. And in my signature program, Passage to Power, we talk about this a lot, how we have to define why we have sex. Because mm. if you're in a long-term marriage or relationship or even single, I guess it really doesn't matter what your relational status is, and that libido starts to wane, a lot of women mm. will just say, sayonara, that part of my life is over. I'm not interested in sex. Right. I will just let that part of me go to sleep. And then this is a good time to ask yourself, well, actually, why is sex important? And I think there's a lot more than we realize. And in fact, I know this, the science tells us this, that for women who remain sexually active and who have a healthy relationship with their own sexuality, whether they're having sex with other people or just themselves, women who can right. who continue to have orgasms or some women go into midlife and have their first orgasm. Why is that important? It's because it empowers us. It makes us more powerful, more intelligent, more successful, communicative, expressed people. And in my book, wait, 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 wait. why, <laughs> okay. why do having orgasms make us more intelligent? I mean, I'm a fucking genius then. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Orgasms are my favorite. Yay. But why does it make us more intelligent? How does that connect? It has to do with your neurohormones. It has to do with the levels of oxytocin and dopamine and adrenaline and all the opioids and endorphins, it has to do with your brain chemistry. And orgasm literally helps to balance your hormones and set in a very short way. But it optimizes your whole mind-body system. So you literally have a stronger immune system when you're having more orgasms. You have mm. better ability to focus and concentrate and feel reward at the completion of tasks. You feel more motivated. You feel more talkative. You're more assertive. You're more ambitious. I mean, I certainly see that among my peers of my age. Yes. I, I think it gets characterized 
not in relation to sexuality, but in relation to the physiology of perimenopause and menopause, the decrease of estrogen and the way your hormones are changing. And this sort of becomes this no fucks left to give ethos. Mm -hmm. But I love that it's tied to your your intimate sexuality. Is that what being a somatic psychotherapist means is that you're including the body in the experience? Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. It means that they're, the body is in the room. It's in the process, mm-hmm. yeah, which I'm a, a very big believer in. I always say use, use it or lose it. Keep mm. your sexuality lubricated. Keep it active. Even if it means you're reading erotica to yourself, even if it means you're mm-hmm. watching something yummy on Netflix or HBO, like just stay in the game because it's so important that we have women in power in positions of leadership. And when women are sexually alive and juicy, and that part of them is flowing and robust, in general, it makes us happier, healthy people. And happy, healthy people rise into positions of power and leadership. Mm, I love connecting those dots because I don't think we do that. (laughs) I think power and leadership sort of feels like an archetypically male pursuit. And then obviously that's not the truth today, but that is sort of from an archetypal perspective. You know, a leader is a man, not a sexy woman or a woman in midlife who is still hot and still sexual and still alive. But you do recognize that vitality in women who are in the public sphere. You see that someone is lit up and charged. And I often wonder where that charge is coming from and if it does tie to people's sexuality or whether it's just charisma or personality or drive. But I like seeing it as this sort of holistic picture that can help us be more successful. Absolutely. And look, let's zoom out just a little bit because certainly there are women who are not having sex who are also in positions of power. Yeah, for sure. You know, what we're talking about really, what I'm talking about is the erotic, to feel life force running through your body. And sex is a wonderful way to do that, but it's not the only way. What are other ways? Other ways, yoga, smelling flowers, Dance mm. is a wonderful way to be in relationship with the erotic and freeform dance, especially. I'm a really big proponent of conscious freeform dance, improvisational dance, just simply moving your body in a way that pleases you. Really, anything that brings you pleasure is touching the erotic and is vitalizing your system. Sex and orgasm with yourself or with another person is also a wonderful, very amplified way of doing that, but certainly not the Mm -hmm. only. So if you're listening and you're not orgasmic, not having sex with yourself or other, don't despair. There are many, many ways of bringing that vitality into your system. And this is more important in midlife than it is in any other time of your life. And it might mean for you just walking in nature every day. And that's very Mm. erotic to me. Because it engages your senses. I think a lot about the role of pleasure in our lives and how when we are deep in this crunch time of our lives where maybe we're raising children, we're maintaining a marriage, we're maintaining a career and we're still striving, we're being all things to all people, which is so much the case for so many women we lose this sense of my pleasure is important. 
Yeah. My pleasure is something to take time to celebrate beyond the sort of like cult of Chardonnay where, you know, you're allowed in prescribed ways in the culture to have pleasure, but it's hedonistic or it's self-indulgent to pursue pleasure for its own purpose. And I just so deeply disagree with that. We're only here once and we have these beautiful senses and we have this beautiful body and we're missing out if we don't prioritize some element of pleasure for ourselves whether it's sexual or other somatic, my new word today, somatic experiences. Absolutely. Um, I love hearing about that. Yeah. And women who are orgasmic or engaged in their turn on become more self-prioritizing. So there's this the synergy of neurohormones in the body is that when you're feeding yourself with pleasure, you actually begin to see yourself in a new way. You begin to see yourself as more beautiful. It, it literally changes the lens. This is something that's been tracked and researched. You, the lens in which you see yourself changes your self-perception and you begin to put yourself first. And now when that conjuncts with perimenopause going into menopause, when estrogen levels decline, estrogen makes us put other people first. This is a revelation. I want to stay in this for a mm-hmm. minute. Okay. Estrogen makes us prioritize other people. It's, what, what is the biological benefit? Of it's that? one of the drivers of our nurturing and it's a big driver of our belonging. So when we have higher levels of estrogen, it means that we're fertile and reproductive. And it's, this is evolutionary psychology. When we're reproductive and we could be popping babies out, we really need to remain in belonging to a tribe in order to be cared for, to be protected Indeed. and to be fed. Because obviously if you've ever had a child, you, you need help. And when that estrogen begins to decline, this is what you're talking about with like, you stop giving fucks. There's no fucks given. And put yourself first because you're no longer fertile and reproductive. It's like, it's all about you now. And hallelujah, it's finally time that it's all about you now. Granted, many women are still mothering through perimenopause. Yep. Actually, today, most women, if your mothers, we're having babies later and later, so you're still mothering and nurturing, but you're, you're not driven anymore to alter yourself or modify yourself in order to belong. So that sense of compromise that you might have been connected to in your younger times, I know I've never had children, but I look back at my 20s and my 30s, even my 40s, and like I would get into the fashion or I would want to wear my hair or change my hair. You know, we want to belong. We want to fit in and we want to be with the trends. But when we go through perimenopause into menopause, we're like, fuck that, man. I just want to be me and I want to be amazing and feel good. Right. God, what a world of possibilities open up when you are no longer focused on pleasing others. So as your estrogen drops, your desire to accommodate other people is less. (laughs) That is so epic because I feel that and I hear that from my peers and from listeners to this podcast. But To know that there is a biological reason that that is happening, that is really huge. And that is like, if you feel guilty about feeling those feelings that you don't want to prioritize other people's desires and wants and what they want from you at this point in your life, that is permission 
from your body to feel that way. You can't help it. That is normal. That is part of evolution. I think that's gorgeous. (laughs) And it is to be enjoyed. It is real freedom. Oh my gosh, to suddenly be lifted from that drive to want to fit in and to please and to appease and to be appealing to all people and make everybody happy and take care of everybody. Oh my gosh, to be mm-hmm. free of that. Do you know what that liberates in our power and what we can what create? What it, it liberates our availability to create what we've always wanted to create, but couldn't or didn't have the courage to. I think midlife is a time of real courage for women. And to create the project, to start the yeah. business, to, like I said, to be in leadership. Yes, I think that's right. I think that's right. I personally feel less aligned with success as it's defined by others, success as it's defined by the way that I always chased it in the past. And my own invention, my own creativity, my own self-expression has become the thing that I prize the most in my life. And everyone has sort of logistical and material realities to address. None of us is entirely free to be outside the system of pleasing others because we need to make a living and we need to raise our children and we need to take care of our aging parents and we need to do all these things that we need to do. But we don't need to be absent. And our wants and desires don't need to be absent during all of that, this sort of selfless martyr thing becomes less and less attractive as we get older. And we don't have the energy for it. No, (laughs) we don't. So no, we don't. When you realize you have a finite amount of energy, you want to spend it well and Mm. really discern and pick and choose where are you going to place your energy? And so we no longer place our energy outside of ourselves onto relationships or friendships or projects at work that don't really, really matter to us. So it's a great time of getting clear on what is the most important thing and what is a good investment of my time and energy. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. I feel like we could end the podcast here. Like this, like not just this one, the podcast overall, like (laughs) this is the mission, the message. I feel I'd love to go back a little bit to like how our erotic identity changes Mm -hmm. at this point in our lives. Mm -hmm. When we talked before this call, Mm -hmm. you said something about how the archetype of our eros changes in midlife. And this is, these are big ideas. I would love to hear from you, like how you see from your macro perspective, how age changes who we show up as erotically in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, My favorite thing to talk about. So I'm going to speak from my (laughs) own experience and also the many, many hundreds of women that I've been serving through perimenopause and into menopause. So um, results may vary. (laughs) Fair. So when we're in our younger years prior to perimenopause, often the archetypes that show up are is the mother, obviously. But it, it tends to be an erotic identity that is a little more lusty, lustful, that mm. is a little more in servitude of the ideal mate, whether that's men, women, anything in between for you or both and all of the above, that we're in servitude to capturing or to scoring or winning that 
sexual partner, that romantic partner. A lot of the fantasies that our culture installs into us are still alive. The fantasies of finding the one and being chosen and this fairy tale princess fantasy is still alive and in part supported by estrogen and in part reinforced mm -hmm. again and again by our culture. So many women are still driven by that. Even if they don't want to get married or have kids, which is more common now, there's still some drive to be loved and to belong and to be chosen. Sure. And as we age and go into perimenopause and all the hormones start changing and our bodies change, we enter more the archetypes of the queen who's no longer in servitude to a potential sexual partner, but is served by her sexual partners. Amen, sister. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, and I'm going to talk about two archetypes in midlife that I feel are particularly powerful. And the first is the queen, which is relevant for many, many women in that I coach women who are now dating in midlife to look at their potential partners or dates or lovers more as servers. How does this person serve you? Because in this time of life, it's so important that we be nourished, that we be fed, and whether that's fed pleasure, fed food, fed a good time, a great concert, that we be fed and that we learn how to exquisitely receive what we're being fed. Because that mm. makes it more not only more exciting for the person who's feeding us, but like we absorb more of the nutrients of our interactions. Whereas I think earlier in life, it can often be more about the volume like how much are we getting? How much can we eat? How much can we achieve and accomplish and do? We have that little hamster wheel going on inside of us. And mm -hmm. midlife is more about mm, what's the best one that I choose and how deeply can I savor it? So the queen is served and she has her court. She has her court of figures, of people in their roles who feed her, serve her, nourish her, lift her, carry her, and she then gets to rule her queendom. And when women are in positions of their queen, oh my God, amazing things happen in the world because we're like leading. We're, we're leading. Well, our leadership develops a conscience. It's led from the feminine. It's led from the heart. It's led from this exquisite position of wisdom and experience. And we're no longer in the kind of roller coaster of our cycle. So that cyclical, which I have find a lot of beauty in also, but the cyclical nature of our mind and body and spirit ends. And it's just one sea of glass. So ruling from that position of stability, there's so much peace and power in that. Mm. And I want to touch on the other archetype that I personally love the most, even more than the queen, and that is the witch. I love the witch, especially for midlife, because the witch is the ultimate rebel. She gives a flying fuck you to anyone and everything that doesn't work for her and serve her. She's also the healer and the herbalist. She's the wild troublemaker in total rebellion to everything society wants to say about her and all other women for that matter. The witch tends to the environment, to nature, to animals, to all beings. She's wise, she's deep, she's compassionate, but she's feisty and she's fiery and she is not afraid. 
And I find that the witch is actually a really important archetype for women now because we need to shift the paradigm of women in midlife radically because we need women in midlife. We are so valuable and so important to the overall fabric of society that we need to not shrink into retirement or repose or sexlessness. No, this is the time to actually get into your power in a new way with a new archetype. And I find the witch is phenomenal for that. So witch and queen, beautiful to step into at this time. Both of, both of them highly sexually active. I love this. <laughs> I I mean, I said to my boyfriend the other day, like, he's like, I want to eat healthy this year and I want to exercise and I want to what do all these good things. And I was like, okay, but we have to find ways for me to be bad because (laughs) I, (laughs) I need to rebel. I need to be wild. I, I was in captivity for fucking 17 years. And I also feel like this is my time in my life. This is the time for the listeners to this podcast to embrace that wildness in ourselves and the impulses that leads us towards because then we're having adventures and then we're having joy and then we're not caring what other people think of us. We are pursuing what lights us up in the world. I want to be a bad teenager. That's my archetype these days. I'm like such a good little mom and such a good little everything. And then I want a space in my life where I can go listen to loud music or I can go take mushrooms or I can go do whatever it is that I fucking want to do because I'm 52 years old and who cares exactly. anymore? <laughs> exactly. You're right on track, my friend. <laughs> you're, you're doing it right. I think this message is so important for people listening at home who may not be living in Southern California, where us wild child ladies with bohemian inclinations, whether or not we manifest them externally all the time, but most people are not living in this particular corner of the culture. But I think that California, this is my own personal dogleg here, has always been a bellwether for what is next. And what is new? And this is where everything is going is certainly this is what is possible because people are doing things in an unconventional way here, which feels completely normal to you and I, but maybe not so much to people in the Midwest or people in the Bible Belt or living in more sort of conventional pockets. So I'm not saying blow all your shit up, but I'm saying like... Maybe there is some spark of inspiration you can take from the fact that this kind of talk, this kind of point of view, this ethos is alive and well somewhere in the country. You know? <laughs> yes, I, I believe alive and well somewhere inside of every woman mm. is a rebel. Mm. And I want to touch on something you said, which I thought was great around you need to find ways to be bad. And I think that's really important for women at, in midlife. And important to not self-destruct. 
Right. And not self-sabotage. So for example, you mentioned wine, the cult of Chardonnay, which is kind of getting really difficult to drink wine in midlife. And, you know, unfortunately, yeah, I don't anymore. I don't yeah, drink alcohol. Yeah. Anymore. It's like, it doesn't really, work for me. It's so hard on your body. So, but finding ways to be bad, maybe that's just like the way you wear your hair or the way you dress, yeah. like add a pink streak to your hair. For me, my, for, I offer this as an example, because my form of rebellion was to not have to dress sexy all the time. Because I was mm. such a sex pot for 20s, 30s, 40s. And once I hit 50s, I'm like, fuck, I just want to be my slippers, man. And like, kind of be frumpy. So for me, that's been permission to just relax and be comfortable. And that's been rebellious because I do live in LA, which is like full of young, sexy, amazing women. And I'm like, I don't need to keep up with that anymore. I can actually just run no. around in my yoga. My my partner calls my fashion LA yoga. And that's kind of all I wear is yoga clothes because it's comfortable. But for you, that might come as just the way you express yourself. If you are mm -hmm. in the Midwest or anywhere that's a little more or suburban or rural, and that's just not the culture of where you are, it's okay to take your rebellion in small, delicious ways. Maybe it's taking a nap every day at three o'clock and that's your rebellion. And that is fucking beautiful. But to find that ribbon inside of you, will keep vitalizing you. Totally. Here's a really small example of of way in which the, I like to be a little bit rebellious. I sometimes post things that I think are maybe too sexy on my Instagram stories. <laughs> I'm sure they're really <laughs> successful too. I, I, mean, I don't know. There's like this hot guy chopping wood and I just put it up there. <laughs> and I feel like, oh God, this is a little naughty and like my relatives follow me on Instagram. But you know what? Like fuck it. <laughs> fine, fuck <laughs> it. Right? Like this is what lights me up. Yeah. <laughs> it's so small. It's so dumb, but it gives me this little like frisson of like, mm, I'm naughty. <laughs> I need that. I really need that. I, I don't want to feel like I have to repress my inner rebel in order to be acceptable. I did that for a long time. I think a lot of us do it to survive and to be socially acceptable. But you said to me in our in our last uh, conversation, when your fertility declines, your power rises. <laughs> yeah. And I just love that as a sort of touchstone. Mm -hmm. Because I think power can show up in a lot of different ways. It isn't just like, okay, and now I'm the CEO. Or now I'm the boss of this or that. It's your own power in yourself to feel, to feel empowered, right? To make your own choices and to do things your way. Absolutely. Yeah. All the rules change. And we're in an exciting moment. We're in, at the forefront of the revolution for women in midlife. You certainly with this podcast are doing amazing work with this. And we get to start redefining the rules for ourselves and all the women who come after us. We are not having our mother's menopause. No. And coming back to sex, claiming that this can be the most pleasurable sexual phase of our lives is a revolution. It's yes. That's the witch. She's confronting those social norms. And look, a sexually alive, expressed woman again, with herself or with others, that doesn't matter. A sexually alive and turned on woman is impossible to control. She's too powerful. 
You cannot control her. She's in her sovereignty. She's in her agency. She's in her power. And maybe she has three children at home. Maybe she's sexually empowered with her high school sweetheart she's still married to. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. A woman who is a turned on woman is a powerful woman. And we need that now in this phase of our lives. So what can that look like? Maybe we can jam on that. Yeah. What does sex look like at this age? Oh my God. Can I name some things that I hear? Absolutely. Because I work with so many women in this phase that they're telling me, well, it hurts now. I'm Mm. I'm dry. I'm having vaginal dryness. I have no libido whatsoever. How am I supposed to be turned on? I don't even want to masturbate. I can't even, I get the ick on my partner now. He gets into bed and I want to throw up. These are the things that I hear. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so how can we possibly become more sexually empowered when all this is going on? First and foremost, be on top of your hormones, on your hormonal functioning. Make sure that you're getting quality care from a diversity of providers, not just your traditional Western OBGYN. OBGYNs typically are not even trained to work with menopause. They're trained to work with birth. Right. So get yourself into a functional medicine practitioner or naturopath or alternative practitioner who can look at you more holistically and do a solid measure of your hormones and consider testosterone if you don't have any libido. Consider estrogen. These are very safe treatments now. And in fact, more and more, the research is showing us that hormone replacement therapy, whether it's bioidentical or conventional hormone therapy, it does not matter either way, is protective of women as they age, protective of neurodegenerative diseases, heart diseases, bone health, etc. So step one, look into that. Step two, sex will just look different now. It will be different now, and it can be even more delicious and exciting because the old version of the two-pump chump, penis and vagina, might not be relevant or even desirable for you. It maybe never was desirable for you, Mm. but that's how we were entrained to have sex because that's the male-forward patriarchal version of sex. But now you get to start over and discover and explore what turns you on, lights you up from the inside out. Maybe it's not even penetration. Maybe there's like 110 other things that come before penetration. So it's a time that you get to redefine and remap and rediscover and explore. And you talk a lot about sexuality being tied to spirituality. Mm -hmm. And I would really love to understand how you see that connection. Because I think as we age, I, I, you know, again, folks group of a handful, right? But the women that I have talked to that I'm connected to who are, are my age and who I grew up with, we have now, when we were not interested in spirituality as younger people, we have now figured out a more of a relationship with a higher power or with some sense of the eternal, of the mystery, whatever you want to call it, get woo-woo, get conventional, however you want to talk about it. As I age, I find the concept of God or a higher power or my spirituality to be really important and really helpful and really comforting. And 
even if it is on a very simple level, like look at the miracle of how we are designed. Mm -hmm. Look at the miracle of our beautiful bodies. Look at how pleasure functions in our bodies and in our lives. Look at these complex systems that drive us. Look at these complex systems we're a part of on planet Earth. I can get super cosmic, but I'd love to hear from you how sex and spirituality really are interwoven. Yeah. Well, you started to name it a moment ago in talking about what I call life force. So in Tantra and in, in yoga, which is the discipline I come from, it's your Shakti. It's your prana, your chi. It's the force that animates your body and your mind. And sexuality absolutely energizes that, your Shakti. It's your sense of aliveness. And we could even go back to the beginning of the conversation and call it your eros, mm. the flow of the erotic through your body. And when we're sexually active and not aware of that, of how energy moves through our body and our life force, then it can often become a kind of athletic act um, or a performative act very commonly, mm. or something that pleases our partner, typically a male partner. And it's all about Maybe there's foreplay and then there's penetration and then there's, ugh, I hate this word and I'm constantly telling people to stop using it. You finish. Mm. And, and it's a very linear trajectory of what sex is. It's very limited. And when we start to see sex as a spiritual practice, we begin to enjoy the journey from the moment of our connection with our lover. And maybe that's yourself the moment of connection with your lover until the moment when you feel complete with the encounter and it gently tapers off into something also intimate, but not sexual. So we're to see sex as a spiritual practice is to collapse that predictable linearity of start, middle and end or the finish mm. and see it more as a yoga, something that you're both engaging in that brings you more alive and deepens your experience of each other. And now many people, when they begin to find this practice, whether it's through sexual tantra, which is what I teach, or maybe it's Taoism or any other form, that they begin to have an experience of the divine through their turn on, that they actually feel a kind of communion or emerging with God, spirit, source, whatever that is for you, mm through the matrix of their partner and through the sensation and the experience of the pleasure. Some descriptions that I've certainly felt many, many times over my life and I hear other people talk about is you might dissolve into light. Your mm. body just dissolves into particles of light. You reach a kind of higher echelon of awareness where insights and ideas and creativity and inspiration start streaming through your body while you're in a state of turn on. Your brain becomes highly neuroplastic when you're turned on, by the way. So all kinds of new ideas might float in for you. You might also have an experience of oneness where your egoic identity dissolves and you feel mm. the oneness of all people, all beings everywhere on the earth. Now I'm getting super woo-woo with you, but I'm wanting to name what is actually possible when we start to frame sex in a totally different way. And how mm. 
vital and enriching it actually can be beyond just the pleasure of an orgasm or the connection with a partner. It's way more than that. Way more is possible, especially in midlife. Especially mm-hmm. in midlife. When all the other stories start to fall away, the story of, does he like me? D- is Can he see my cellulite? Do I have stretch marks? Do, will, will I get a phone call after this happens, etc.? All those stories fall away. Right. And it's just about right. the moment and the experience and the pleasure and the sensation. You better believe there's God in that. That's a miracle. Mm. And I love shifting the paradigm to be more of what a woman's experience of sexuality mm-hmm. is. Because I love, I mean, I'm heterosexual. I date men. I sleep with men. I love a man's sexuality so much. I just like so lit up by the masculine that strong masculine allows me to soften but the paradigm of finishing of the linear progression of a thing towards towards ejaculation and orgasm and then falling asleep is very different than my experience of sexuality which comes in waves which feels like it could be forever it could keep cresting it could pulse and recede, pulse and recede and grow and shrink. And it can be so many things. Uh, Ocean waves seems to be the metaphor that's coming for me. And I, and that is a connectedness to something, something bigger, some sort of pulsing life force that is not a line. It's definitely a wave. Like everything is a wave. Right. Sound is a wave. Light is a wave. Okay. Now we're off in the fucking ether in in this woo-woo-ness. But I do think it's profound to talk about how our sexuality is tied to the forces of nature. And for me, that's where I find my higher power is in the forces of nature. I think it's huge. It's a reconception of sexuality, sensuality, spirituality that doesn't put these artificial barriers or artificial conscription rules around how it's supposed to be. I think a lot of what we shed in midlife and as we head into the second half of our lives is how things are supposed to be. Yeah. And fuck, that's so powerful if you can let that go in your intimate life as well. So powerful. And there's one thing I want to add when we're talking about how sex changes in midlife and especially perimenopause, menopause, when the equipment starts changing. Mm. And in general, women are typically more responsive in their sexuality than they are spontaneous anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the sexual arousal system, you can be spontaneous and or responsive and spontaneous would be more of the kind of assertive sexuality. Like when you want to jump somebody's bones Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you're taking the lead and responsive is when you're leaning back and you're not sure how you feel, you're not sure if you want sex and you're just waiting and tracking the sensations and tracking your heart and your body and seeing what might open. And in midlife with the shift of hormones, we become even more responsive. So you might not walk around thinking, oh, fuck, I need to get laid. I want to have sex. You may or may not have that. But especially as you move 
more into menopause, that's less likely to be the case for you. But you are still extremely responsive. So you might not feel like having sex when you get into bed with your partner. But if you've undergone some kind of retraining of your sexuality, which is highly recommended, retraining your sexuality, you can simply lean back and say, hmm, I'm curious. I'm curious whether or not this continues to work for me. And maybe it works for you to go halfway into sex. Maybe there's just a little bit of foreplay. Maybe there's just a little bit of massage or kissing even. And then you're like, ah, no, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I feel complete with that. And you get to have that. But there might also be times when you're opening all the way and you're like, holy fuck, this is something way deeper and way more pleasurable than I've ever felt before. But just trust that your body is going to continue to respond even if it's not in the spontaneous mode anymore. Most women don't know that. And they just think, I don't want yeah. it. I don't want it. I don't want yes, it. Yes, I, I think that's right. I think that's really big insight where I think we might think that our sexuality is dead <laughs> and gone. That it's like, bye, I had that because I was young. I was hot for people all the time. And I was motivated to go out and get sex or to get someone to want me or all of those things. Just because you're not experiencing it that way today doesn't mean you're not still a sexual person or a sensual right. person. I think that like the idea of reframing and then if you're lucky to find someone to help you retrain yourself if you are interested in having this part of your life be a part of your life, I think certainly the option is to say, I'm done with that, like a lot of people do. But if you feel a longing for it or you miss it, which I certainly did in my marriage, and I know that in your first marriage, you describe having lost your libido and not mm -hmm. being able to find it and having that lead partially to the end of the relationship, yeah. which is heartbreaking. If you could have found your way back to yourself inside the relationship, how would that have changed things, right? If I had found my way back to myself and I could have brought that to my partner, how would that have changed things and made things so much juicier and more lovely between us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we get to do it now. Yeah. To stay with ourselves, to find ourselves and stay there. It's so beautiful. I have asked everyone who's come on this podcast one question, and this is a personal question that may not be tied to this expertise that you've shared with us, but are there any deal terms or agreements that you have made in your life that you are right now ready to renegotiate, <laughs> to put on the table as something to reconsider? Mm. Because I think like this conversation is about reconsidering who you are as a sexual person and maybe opening your mind to something different. But we have that in all areas of our lives. Yeah, I think it would have to be around ambition. Mm -hmm. I've been a very ambitious person in my life and have really enjoyed that part of myself and have come a long way. I've achieved a lot from very mm -hmm. humble beginnings. And in this phase of my life, it's not my top priority anymore. And I'm renegotiating that. And I think that that's appropriate for this stage of life. I want to have a good time and continue bringing impact to the world. And I will never, ever stop wanting to do that. Mm 
but I also want to enjoy my life more than ever. And that's what I'm renegotiating is to continue serving and teaching and bringing light and balancing that with, am I enjoying that? My pleasure is the most important Ugh. thing to me now. Eva, this is gorgeous. Gorgeous. I love hearing this. Yes, you are credentialed out the wazoo. You have taken every class, studied with every guru academically and otherwise, but it is okay to renegotiate your relationship with ambition yeah. in favor of having a good time. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think that's a beautiful place to end this conversation. This has been inspiring. I feel really lit up and I'm so grateful that you came to talk to us today. Mm, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Hotter Than Ever. Have you been listening to our weekly advice episodes? Have you been enjoying having more Hotter Than Ever in your podcast feed? Are there issues around friendship, love, sex, relationships, career, ambition, aging, divorce, or something else altogether that you would like my very biased feedback on? Do you need permission to do something you know you're already going to do and you want to frame it in the form of a request for advice? I am here for all of it. DM us on Instagram at Hotter Than Ever Pod or call and leave a voicemail or text your question. That may be the easiest. Just text your question to 323-844-2303. That's the Hotter Than Ever Hottie Hotline at 323-844-2303. I would love to answer your question in a future episode. Hotter Than Ever is produced by Erica Gerard and Podkit Productions. Our associate producer is Melody Carey. Music is by Chris Keating with vocals by Issa Fernandez. Come back next week for more juicy, sexy, yummy, rule-breaking, no-fucks-given stuff. <laughs>